Hello and welcome to the Founded and Grounded podcast. This is episode nine of series three. I'm Andrew Parsonage and it's a pleasure to have your company here today. Thank you for joining us. Just to explain what we're all about, every episode we take the real world experiences of an established founder or entrepreneur and share with you their wisdom their learnings, things that you might be able to apply to your own business circumstances or just to life in general. If that sounds good, then this is the podcast for you. So we are recording virtually today once more. Hopefully as the weather gets a little bit warmer and as spring approaches, then Ollie and myself will be able to return to the garage of dreams. Speaking of which, I'm not alone here online because sitting somewhere out there in the ether is business startup guru, thought leader and beacon to entrepreneurs everywhere, Mr. Ollie Collard. Good morning, Andrew. How are you doing? I'm all right. Thanks, Ollie. So here we are, a new month into February already of 2022. We're rocketing through the year already. Indeed. Yeah. I can't wait to get back into the garage and get the shorts on as well. Well, yeah. Well, it's a good job it's a podcast, really, Ollie, and people can't see all that. So, <laughs> so uh, yes. Anyway, uh, all that to come, hopefully. But uh, for now, let's focus on our latest episode. A bit of a two for one this week, actually. I know we like to give you good audio value here on Founded and Grounded, and we bring you people's experiences. But we've got, if you like, two shows in one day, Ollie, haven't we? So we're talking about not just the experiences of a founder or of an entrepreneur, but also about a very important area when it comes to running a business. Yeah. So we're talking about intellectual property and specifically focusing on trademarking today. So Ollie, on the Founder and Grounded, we often talk about the fundamentals of running a business. So for example, it could be uh, marketing or cash flow, raising finance, or it could be networking. But we don't often cover this particular area, intellectual property, brand protections, maybe the more legal side of things. But this is probably as important as the other things that we regularly talk about, because often brand is the it's like the genesis of a business. It's that baby that a founder or an entrepreneur has in their imagination, in their mind that they're looking to bring into the world. And that's the thing you really want to protect, isn't it? It's really important to get right. It is one of those fundamental things that you should look at from the start of launching your business and making sure you get it right from the outset. Just to share a brief story on protecting your intellectual property, the company BrewDog uh, developed a spirit line called The Lone Wolf some years back. And basically there was this pub in Birmingham called The Lone Wolf. And BrewDog was a startup themselves originally, but has grown to be you know, a massive brand these days. And they're Lawyers have been known to be very heavy handed and they actually went after this pub in Birmingham called the Lone Wolf and said, no, you can't be called the Lone Wolf. The pub actually had to rebrand themselves, change all their signage and obviously cost them thousands of pounds. And there was a a big reaction in the startup community saying that it was very heavy handed, a brew dog and it was a bit unnecessary. And they did actually go back on it and say, no, actually, you can be called the Lone Wolf. But by this point, they'd gone through the rebrand and cost thousands of pounds. So it is something that you need to get right from the outset. Well, I think we could do a whole separate podcast on BrewDog, uh, given that they've been in the news a lot recently, but we'll uh, tiptoe around that one just for now anyway. So thanks, Ollie. Interesting conversation ahead then. Uh, Just to say also that our community lead, Samantha Miles, will be along later in the show to share what you, our listeners, had to say about the previous episode and the question posed by our last guest founder. So yeah, all that's come. But for now, Ollie, let's not keep listeners guessing any further. Please could you reveal the name of this episode's mystery guest entrepreneur? 
Sure, can Andrew. So I caught up with Steve Neal. I normally say founder of X Business. He's actually the managing director and now has an equity stake in the business, which is called the Trademark Helpline. Thanks, Holly. So as ever, we all start the episode with a little bit of the backstory about the featured entrepreneur and their business. And so this is what Steve had to say about the Trademark Helpline and how he came to take on this company. So the Trademark Helpline is pretty much what it says on the tin. It's a, a, a professional service business that was founded off the back of a need to help startup founders and micro business owners navigate the intellectual property world and help them understand what they actually have the rights to own uh, in terms of their brand and their intellectual property assets. Most people don't know what intellectual property is or what it means or, or what, what it means for them. And furthermore, the people who do know and where the source of information you can go and find traditionally have always been expensive lawyers, which has maybe been a bit too prohibitive for most of the SME and, and startup community. Awesome, Steve. And when did you join the company? I said the, the business was founded in 2008. I didn't come on the scene until 2019 officially. I actually met the founder through the, the Manchester business community a couple of years prior. You know, we had a really good relationship and uh, I'd expressed my interest in maybe starting a business myself in the, in the near future. And his name, John Payton, he actually said, well, I've got a business that I'm not really doing the best with because I've got other things that I'm focusing on at the moment. But I could do with somebody who wants to throw themselves into the and pick it up and run with it full time and, and maybe take it to next level kind of bring it up up to date really with with its offering so that was a conversation we had and then you know i decided to take the plunge and uh, and take him up on the deal really so Tief, what were your expectations of going into the business and what was the actual reality of running the business full time well that's a, a really good question and probably very appropriate for this kind of situation because having never run a business myself personally although i had been a manager in, in retail and and uh, in business to business. I'd never had the responsibility of decision making at this level. Normally, you associate founding a business yourself and having a blank canvas and, and starting from scratch. This is more like being Detective Columbo. This is going into uh, someone else's backyard, effectively trying to work out where all the the logins were kept, uh, what bank account looked like. You know, these kind of things that you don't know until you actually get there. And then when you also consider that uh, JP, my business partner, he wasn't hands-on anyway previously. He had other people who were involved and he was more just like the master director uh, above them. He didn't really know the answers either. <laughs> so it was a case of, uh, I actually do all my investigation myself at the start. It probably took me three months to get my head around everything and understand what the different cogs in the in the machine did and, and, and what I needed to, to change. So yeah, some expectations were probably oh, this sounds great, there's a business in a box, I can just you know, open it up and start going. Reality was, it was more like an episode of, what, what do they call it, where they go into the, the, the crates and they, they bid on what's in there. And what surprises did you come across during those three months? I didn't realise how many different suppliers and partners uh, were involved, even in a dormant business, you know, such as, you know, having relationship with a hosting provider, you know, a web developer who's managing the website, all these, I, I just, you know, possibly naively thought that there'd be, you know, three or four that did most things, but actually there's so many specialities in, in the business to business world, you, you know, you've got a lot of different people to, to deal with and, and manage and 
especially if they don't know who you are to start with. You're having to start the relationships with those guys, you know, from scratch. So I don't mind that. So my background is, is, is relationship management, but it's just a case of, and it wasn't ready for the volume of people that I'd have to deal with at the start. Has the product or core offering changed at all as a result of coming in um, as MD? I would say that the the basic offering hasn't changed, but how we deliver it has. We've always had three service elements. One is to research. The next is to uh, register and finally to protect. So if you use the trademark as an example for that, you search for a potential name that you want to use, make sure that no one else has got that, and then you would seek to register it if it was available. But after that, you need to actually monitor it to make sure no one else is using it without permission. Otherwise, what was the point in having it in the first place? So that's never changed from, from our position as a business. We've always had those three service elements. Uh, how it's changed for me is probably a couple of things. One is our route to market. So instead of just trying to drive traffic to our website, inform people about what we do and hope that they inquire so that we can you know, onboard them as a customer, we've opened up relationship channels with tactical partners who have our clients' best interests at heart and are actually advising them at the same time that we need to be involved in that process as well. So people like graphic designers, branding consultants, accountants, startup business coaches, these kind of people are, are ideal for us because they are actually able to, to get to the customer whilst they're listening to advice and they're already paying for that service anyway, usually. They're just filling in another another blank that possibly would would be better done at that point rather than later down the line. So that's really the biggest change that I've brought in. Other than that, I would say the other biggest change is maybe how people pay us. So previously, it was as we're offering a fixed fee model to make it easier and predictable to, for, for you know tight budgets. A lot of the time, it was, it was to take fees were taken up front before any work's done. That's great, obviously, for us. It means that our cash, cash flow is great. But we didn't want to be prohibitive to people who maybe couldn't afford an upfront capital investment. So I've actually got a solution in place now that, that will spread the cost of a trademark application, for example, or the monitoring service that we offer as well to make it easier for people to manage. Awesome, Steve. And obviously coming into this business, it was a bit of an uh, unorthodox route into the world of entrepreneurships mm. and startup businesses. What were your motivations for seizing this opportunity? Well, I think opportunity is the best word, really, because all my life, uh, not just you know in a business sense, if, if an opportunity has presented itself, I very rarely turned it down. I mean, sometimes I might have got me into trouble in the past when I was younger, but you know, from a, a career point of view, if, if you know, opportunity landed on my lap and it seemed like it was the right fit, it was the right fit for me from a principal point of view, from a you know what what I wanted to do next in my life point of view, I've always taken it. When I was already thinking about, um, you know, what I could do potentially as a as a founder after you know a successful career in in B two B sales and retail before that, it, it just so happened that that you know I was already in conversation with JP about other business stuff, and and he just dropped this on my lap and said, you know, well this is what I've been waiting for somebody like you to present themselves that I could trust to to take this this off my hands and actually make something out of it because I haven't got the time. So for me, it was a case of well. Every role I've taken in the last few years, I've been becoming more and more autonomous anyway, I'm managing my own time, I'm managing my own budgets. You know, the next natural step would be to just have sole ownership of of a, of a business or to create something. As I said, this this opportunity just came my way and made sense for me to give it a try 
on the face of it actually sounded like it might be easier than starting from scratch. I probably dispute that with my for myself now. Yeah, it seemed on the, on the face of it to be the the best option at the time to do. I gotta say, I I love the analogy that Steve used there. The fact that taking on the trademark helpline felt like a bit of an episode of reality TV, where you're turning rocks over and seeing what's underneath and finding all kinds of interesting things. Not always as straightforward as it might seem. No, and I think that route into business seems like the easier option rather than starting from scratch. But you're taking on processes, customer base, brand profile, a whole host of things that you don't know the answers to. So like Steve said, he was playing a bit of a detective role in the early days. Yeah, I was going to ask you about this, Ollie, because I suppose the question comes back to, is it easier to take on a going concern and try and mould it into what you want it to be? Or simply to start with a fresh sheet and create a business from scratch? What what do you think, Ollie, just from your experience and what you've seen from the world of startups? On the face of it, taking on an existing business probably is the easier option because you've got the customer base, the processes, all the social media accounts, the relationships, the stakeholders. But until you actually get into the nitty gritty of the business, you don't know what you're going to uncover. So it really depends. I think starting from scratch, it's a blank piece of paper. But that doesn't mean to say that you can't implement change when you're taking on an existing business. And lots of people do actually go out and actively look to take on failing businesses and turn them around in terms of improving processes. I think it really depends on your your nature, really, and how experienced in business you are. And just talking about starting a business in general, there is a science to establishing a new business and to all the things that go with that. But also there's something that is completely unplanned and spontaneous or in the lap of the gods around how things come to pass. And in the case of Steve, it was actually because of a, a business relationship or just through a professional relationship or a network that the trademark helpline came to be his, wasn't it? Yeah, it's a really interesting one. And I think there's lots of people out there who have a burning ambition to start a business, but they don't have this galvanizing idea. And I think what Steve's done really well is actually putting himself out there, having those conversations with his professional networks and actually finding the opportunities for himself. I think more people need to take this entrepreneurial approach to kind of getting involved with a business. It doesn't actually have to be starting one from scratch yourself. It's a really interesting point, actually. Do you think maybe there is a a body or a demographic of people out there for whom they've got all the attributes, but they're just missing that little bit of inspiration, but there's a business there that's perfect for them, for them to take on and to take up a level? I think so, because I think sometimes, you know, one person's trash is someone's treasure because you could have started a business, been relatively successful, maybe got slightly disillusioned with it or wanted to start a business in a different area that you're more passionate about. And you you want to hand over that business. So I think there is these opportunities out there. I think typically when people are going out and networking and trying to find like-minded people to start businesses with, that's more on a co-founder relationship of starting something from scratch. And I think more people should be looking at maybe taking on an existing business because there's a huge amount of potential out there. Okay. Well, let's move on now to the next part of the show. And we always like to get uh, down and amongst the detail and find out what sort of challenges the entrepreneurs came up against on their journey. Uh, We've already got a sense from Steve as to the sort of things he was dealing with when he took on the trademark helpline. But here's a little bit more from him about some of the things specifically that he had to do or change in order to be successful. 
Um, I, I would say looking at, at managing myself, I think um, when you're employed, you, you've always got a manager or a director telling you or reminding you what, what the important things are, uh, but also looking after you as well in case you either work too hard or are about to make the wrong decisions. I've, I've recently started journaling what I do in my day and planning what I do in my day. I kind of treat that as my own boss, really, because it gives me a chance to treat myself objectively and not be you know, either too easy or too hard on myself. I think that's definitely the biggest challenge for me personally. Everything else can be learnt. You know, you can you can learn how things operate. You can learn how to to manage accounting software. You can learn how to manage your you know your CRM platform. What I wasn't ready for probably was the ultimate responsibility and accountability rests with me and, and not with somebody else. And you know that's that's quite a, a difference between employed and self-employed life. Hundred percent, Stephen. I think a lot of founders listening to this will really resonate with them. That message about the buck stops with you and you're responsible for everything and you've got to be all of those things to yourself and it's a hard task to manage. So um, yeah, things like journaling can definitely help with managing that process as well. What kind of mistakes do you see startup founders making in terms of protecting their intellectual property in the early days? Um, not doing the research on chosen brand name. Anybody who's been through um, a founding process, they'll hopefully have somebody who's an expert in branding come to them and, and do a brand workshop with them, try and work out what their, their values are and how to match that to a name or to a color palette, et cetera. But often there's a case, and this is it's nobody's fault, it's just the way that we're taught or not taught in, in, uh, in school about business, is that they won't do a, a thorough and an intensive check on that name to see if somebody else has got that permission to use that or has prior right to use that um, without somebody else using it and and that takes the form of, of several checks that we would do on behalf of a client so first and foremost is it is it already registered as a trademark specifically in the same sector as what that uh, potential business is going to go into because it's not necessarily black or white secondly we would check for domain registrations and social media handles to see if there's going to be any confusion when a, a potential customer is typing in the name on a search engine are they going to go to the wrong website are they going to pay for services that they didn't want by accident these kind of things a lot of business owners don't even think about this thing at the start one of the misconceptions people have is that just by registering a company name at company's house that gives them some form of, of protection on the name it does not the real life example we regularly send letters to the com- to company's house instructing them to force a change of name on a new new registered business because it is infringing on a, one of our clients' trademarks. Um, and they will just send that letter straight away to uh, the other businesses' directors and ask them to change because company's house registration is done by a, essentially uh, an automated platform whereby as long as one letter is different or even a punctuation mark is different to what's already there, it will automatically approve it. People can inadvertently end up having the same, essentially same trading name just because they've got diff- slightly different companies' house registration names. Indeed, Stephen. People can obviously have a different registered name to their trading name as well, so that adds obviously further complication to that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, again, that's another misnomer for people, is that they, they have to use the trading name that they, they want to use as a company's house registration and vice versa. But that can cause its own problems in, in such property. Right then, Ollie. So the one thing I really want to pick up on here is about journaling. That's the one thing that really stood out to me from hearing what Steve had to say there. 
I really like the idea of journaling just in general, just to sort of write down how you're thinking, feeling. It can be quite therapeutic, can be quite cathartic, but it also can be really helpful. And certainly in a business context, having things done in black and white can maybe help a founder make sense of the process or how they're going about doing what they're doing. Would you would you go with that? 100% Andrew and I think the the importance of getting your thoughts down on paper is underplayed and I think more founders should be journaling and writing things down I mean there's so much going on in running a business you're wearing so many different hats and sometimes you just get a bit of brain fog you feel overwhelmed and actually just getting those thoughts down on paper is such an easy thing to do and the benefits of it can be significant but I think a lot of people just don't know where to start, but it is as simple as taking out a blank piece of paper and just getting everything down on paper. If that doesn't feel like enough structure for you, there's some very structured journals out there. I use one called the Best Self Journal, and that's quite structured in terms of planning out your day. So you set your intentions for how you're going to run your day. Obviously, things come up and sometimes you don't necessarily stay to the plan, but actually having a bit of structure today is really important. And also there's a a section in there where you're writing down three things that you're grateful for in both the morning and the evening. And that really helps with your own mental well-being and also your outlook on life. So I'd 100% recommend journaling. And I think if you're a founder listening and haven't considered journaling, I'd give it a try. Excellent. So Ollie, just those two things once again, the best self journal you referenced there as a, a good template, if you like, for this approach. And also three things that you're grateful for, two really good things that you can do to maybe provide some structure to your day. And as you were saying, Ollie, just to give a sense of accomplishment, because it's so easy to get to the end of the day and wonder, well, what was today all about? What did I actually achieve? It's very easy sometimes to feel like you didn't achieve anything. Indeed. And it's great to reflect on that in, say, a week's time and look back at what you did achieve in the previous week, because sometimes things can be so fast moving in the world of startups, you don't take time to reflect. So actually, it's quite cathartic to do so. Let's move on then to the last part of the conversation with Steve Neal from the Trademark Helpline. Steve has a nugget of wisdom for you all, that one piece of advice that we always ask our entrepreneurs. But we begin with just getting his thoughts as to what the future has in store for his business. So um, five years time. I mentioned earlier that we have opened up this kind of partner channel now, which has both been you know, very rewarding personally for me and, and helps with our profitability as a business. I would like to see that the partner channel reach 50 members that are active by the end of uh, this year. So, you know, you're probably looking at around about 250 of those partners by the end of five years. That means that, you know, we're not having to do a lot of selling at all. It's all down to supporting those those resellers effectively with, you know, our services and, and, and what they can, how they can make the most of those services and how they can have the most value with those. And I'd like to get to a point where that's the case and I'm helping those guys make the best of it rather than just, you know, dealing with company A or customer B or filling a day with, with, with meetings of that, that nature. I think that would be a great future for us. And, and obviously, it would make our, our business profitable when we're not actually actively working, which is I think is a, a great goal to have for a lot of businesses. So um, we're going to try and keep things lean as an operation so we can keep the cost low for, for our uh, target market but also make us less less rigid, I suppose. When scale comes, you have to kind of react to that. So when we're, when it, it's inevitable that we have to grow in terms of our support staff mainly, by the end of this year, we may have 
double the size that we are now, and then after five years, you know, maybe three times the size to four times the size. Uh, so it'd be great to get to like maybe ten to twenty employees at that point. The last part of the show, which is one of the key tenants of Founded and Grounded, is asking our featured founders to pass on just one piece of advice to somebody thinking of starting a business. So what would that be, Steve? Uh, I would say there's a lot of information out there for new business founders and, and a lot of people with a lot of advice. I would say the, the best lesson I can give people is to listen to everybody, but don't necessarily do what everybody advises. Yeah, I think you'd be spending an arm and a leg if you if you took on all the advice that you got across the board. What would you specifically advise in terms of due diligence, in terms of working out who they want to do business with? There's really easy ways of doing this. If you are offering credit to people, potential clients, then you can obviously do a credit check on them to see if that that's a, a, a viable option. But if it's a supplier that's trying to sell you stuff or, or help your, your business out, then I think that you can't go wrong with somebody you trust already referring that person your way. We're in the, the age of the, the influencer. What's more authentic is somebody you know who's maybe got the same problems to solve as you or, or did have telling you that they've had a great experience with somebody, not just reading reviews online or going to the, the best ranked Google item, actually get somebody to say, yeah, this guy did a great job or this lady did a great job for me. You know, I'm sure they'll look after you. And, and that, I think that's worth a lot. Awesome advice there, Steve. And lastly, where can people find you? Yeah, so um, well, if they're in the in the neighbourhood, if they're, if they're Manchester or Cheshire based, uh, our, our office is based in Altrincham. Lots of great places to, to eat and drink around there. So you can come come and ask me for a for a bite to eat or a, a coffee anytime you want to. But online, you can you can find me on on LinkedIn. Uh, so my handle on LinkedIn is Startup with Steve. The company's on LinkedIn as well, the Trademark Helpline. And I'm on Instagram as the Steve Neal and Facebook. I think it's the same as well. You can find me there. Awesome. And what's the web address for the Trademark Helpline? TheTrademarkHelpline.com. Really simple. Fantastic, Steve. Sometimes if it's appropriate, we give people the opportunity to offer some form of discount specifically to our listener base. So I don't know if anything would be applicable. I know your prices are pretty competitive anyway. I'm happy to extend a 10% discount on our service fees for, for anything that they, they do with us. Excellent, Steve. So how do people take advantage of that great offer? If they get in contact with us uh, via phone, they just need to mention either your name, if they're personal friends of yours, or obviously the, the podcast name, or they can just give us a code TMH2022, and then we'll know that, where they come from. And if they're online, they just need to look, then do the same thing. If it's connected on LinkedIn or, or through our, our chat facility on our website, they just need to mention the same things. And that's fine. Steve, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show. Thank you very much for your time and insights and look forward to airing this episode in February. Thanks for having me, Ollie. It's been great. Ollie, a few episodes ago, we featured a, another entrepreneur who was wary of advisors, let's put it politely. And Steve had a very similar piece of advice, probably a little bit more diplomatic. As a founder, you'll have lots of people wanting to give you advice, like becoming a parent, really. You have lots of people wanting to give you advice and tell you how, how it's done and best practice and all that kind of stuff. So Steve's advice was simply listen to everyone, but don't necessarily do what everyone advises. 
And Andrew, I like the analogy there about babies, because I think that obviously every baby is different, as is every business. So not all advice is going to be applicable. So you've got to take all advice that you are getting with a pinch of salt, because it might not be applicable to your own business. And I think if you're getting approached left, right and center in the early days, you know, maybe from an SEO expert, somebody who's wanting to do your personal branding, somebody wants to increase your digital marketing. Everything is a trade-off in the early days. You can't do everything because you haven't got the budget to do it. So you really got to think about what is going to have the biggest impact on your business and ultimately your bottom line. And if you're looking at procuring services, ask them to speak to some of their existing customers, and then you'll really get a really accurate and true reflection of the value that they can provide by speaking to somebody they've previously worked with. So that would be my advice on that. Yeah, I, I wanted to pick up on the point that Steve made about working through people you know or trust. It sounds a really obvious thing, doesn't it? But it's the power of, of referrals and that actually, if people are wanting to offer their services to help you progress your business, and it can be in all kinds of different areas, whether it's web design, marketing, I don't know, bookkeeping, whatever, you're best off working with someone you know or someone you know through a good contact it's all about reputation. So I'm not going to refer somebody into yourself that I don't trust or I know that can be a good job because obviously that's going to reflect badly on myself. So I think if you're looking to procure something, always start with your network because you're essentially saving hours of time doing research and actually you're going to be getting very good people. That doesn't mean to say that you can't consider anybody cold, but what you're doing is you're actually giving yourself a, a really good starting point to procuring the right person or the right service. Okay, well at this point of the podcast, we bring in our community lead, Samantha Mars. So for the first time in this episode, Samantha, hello and good to see you and uh, speak to you. I know you're all, all online today in different parts of the country, but uh, good to catch up. Yes, yeah, it's great to be back for another episode. Yeah, we were just saying how quickly January has flown. Uh, it's obviously gone quickly for you as well. Yeah, for me, blink of an eye. I've heard polar opposites this year, though. Either it's been about 80 days in January or it's gone in the blink of an eye. But I think the final third dragged slightly in places. But so anyway, <laughs> we, we got to, to February. Just before we go into the feedback we had on our last episode and the question posed by Nav, who was our featured entrepreneur, I just wanted to quickly ask you about what Ollie and I were just talking about, which was the power of referrals. So Steve was talking about referrals from people you know, from trusted contacts, as the best way to manage all the offers you might get for people who want to support you. I know this is something you come across very frequently in your line of work. Yeah, it's a really big aspect to sort of virtual assistant, social media, marketing type roles. It actually makes up at least three quarters of my business, I'd say. And I frequently suggest in people making referrals. I think it has a huge benefit for people when you can provide a valued referral because you're giving that customer added benefits, added value, but you're also helping your community and in return, they'll be helping you too. So there's really no downside to making a trusted referral. Yeah, it's a powerful thing, isn't it? When you can pass on someone whose services you can really vouch for, it's quite some currency in that, isn't it? Definitely. Okay, well, let's turn to the question posed by Nav. So Nav was our founder, our entrepreneur from episode eight, this was the washing machine project, that really inspiring story about how Nav and his team are creating offline manual washing machines 
for developing nations and consumers in those nations. Uh, Sam, could you remind us of the question that Nav posed for our listeners? The question was, in the last 20 years, the proportion of the world's population living in extreme poverty has, and then we gave three options, almost doubled, stayed the same, or almost halved. So we had a renowning 70% saying almost doubled, and a lot less sort of saying that it would have almost halved. So there was sort of the two opposites there and hardly anybody thought it would stay the same and rightly so. So it was really interesting to see how many people are aware of the sort of growing problem. Yeah, definitely. And I know we see a lot in the media about how, for example, COVID has exacerbated that situation. So definitely uh, thought-provoking statistics there from now. And that episode was certainly a real eye-opener and a reminder of real-world entrepreneurship. I know from some of our feedback, the edition really resonated with people and people really enjoyed hearing about and listening to NAB's experiences. So so thank you once again to uh, to NAB and the Washing Machine Project. It was a real pleasure to, to chat with those guys. Let's now turn to the question for this episode. So every edition of the Founder and Grounder podcast, we ask our guest entrepreneur to put something to our listeners. So this is what Steve wants to know from you. Yeah, I'd like to know how many people or, you know, actually did a, a trademark or brand protection availability search before registering their name as a company's house um, or deciding to go with a trading style. How, how many of them actually have done a search on the name, a thorough search using maybe a specialist like ourselves to ascertain if uh, a name is available for them to use from day one? Yes, if it did, no, if it didn't. Okay, so that was Steve's question then. And Samantha, there are a multitude of ways which people can engage with us here at Found and Granite. So just remind us of the key platforms and our new Facebook community. Of course, so we are on Instagram and Twitter. And of course, as you just mentioned, we are on Facebook now with our Facebook group community too. So that's a community for people to come and share their experiences, to have business tips, motivation from each other, hear the amazing stories that we're sharing all the time on the podcast, and just build that community so they can continue to learn and grow and know that you're not alone on this journey because it can be quite isolating. So we'd love to have our listeners come and join us. You can find it through the Founded and Grounded Facebook page or by searching Founded and Connected, which is the name of our community group. Fantastic. Thanks, Samantha. And we were saying at the beginning of the edition that uh, we hope it won't be too long before we're all recording together in person again. So hopefully, Samantha, we'll see you back in the studio in, in a few weeks' time. I do hope so. Take care, Sam. We'll speak to you soon. Thank you. Thank you once again then to Samantha. And yes, please do get in touch. We love to hear from our community. And we are available across all those platforms now, including our new Facebook group, as you know. So we really appreciate hearing from you and what you're going to say about anything you've heard in this episode or from previous episodes. Do please get in touch and also do tell your contacts and colleagues and friends about the Founding and Grounded podcast and pass the love forward. Thank you to Steve. And also just to uh, remind you that 10% discount on service fees with the trademark helpline just mention ollie because basically if you mention ollie's name it opens all kinds of doors all over the world or this podcast <laughs> the code is tmh2022 okay and that should uh, get you a nice 10 percent off service fees for the trademark helpline great stuff thank you steve ollie uh, that's us done for another program thank you sir 
A pleasure as always, Andrew. And thanks again to Steve for his insights and time in terms of sharing a bit more about his journey and how to protect your intellectual property. So that's episode nine done. Who have we got for episode 10 coming up, Ollie? So I'm going to be speaking with Deo and she is founder of a company called Wisdom. So we'll be sharing wisdom in more ways than one for the next instalment. So do join us for that in a few weeks time. Ollie, thank you. Looking forward to speaking with you again soon. But for now, you have been listening to the Founder and Grounded podcast with myself, Andrew Parsonage, expert analysis from Ollie Collard and our community input from Samantha Miles. Thank you to Ollie and to Samantha. And thank you to you for joining us. We know that you have a choice of numerous podcasts out there to listen to, not just in the field of entrepreneurship. So we're grateful for you spending half an hour to 40 minutes of your week with us. We do appreciate it. And we'll be back very soon. But for now, do take care, look after each other, look out for each other and join us again in a few weeks time for another slice of the Found and Grounded podcast. But for now, cheerio.